This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman, the founder of Innovative CX Solutions, a past chairperson of the CXPA, and a practitioner with many years of transforming global operations and designing better customer experiences. Together with our guests and listeners, we seek to discuss, challenge, and create new understanding about how to inspire better experiences in response to ever-changing customer expectations. Hello, and welcome to another episode of All Things Considered CX. I'm your host, Bob Asman. Welcome back to another episode. And I'm especially excited to welcome our guest today on the podcast, John Miller, author of QBQ, among other books. Welcome, John. We're really ha- glad to have you. And uh, take a moment, if you would, to introduce yourself to our listeners. Thanks, Bob. Glad to be here. My name is John Miller, and I wrote a few books, and I'm a professional speaker guy. I'm married to Karen uh, since 1980. We have seven children, six girls and one boy. How about that? And we live in Denver, Colorado. Fantastic. And John, I'm always curious, as are our listeners, with how do our guests arrive at what they're doing today? What was the career path? What were the, uh, you know, the key moments in time where that guided you to do what you're doing today? Can you share that with us? Sure. Great question. It's somewhere between divine guidance and dumb luck. <laughs> We've heard that before too, John. Oh, I <laughs> from bet. Other guests. I bet. Because, you know, when I got out of Cornell, when I got out of Cornell University in 1980, I surely was not thinking I'd end up being an author or a speaker or anything like that. But I started with a big company. You'll know the name, Cargill. Oh, yes. Big Minnesota firm. And I was a grain trader buying and selling corn and wheat and soybeans and oats. And my wife was 19. I was 22. We moved from upstate New York to Mankato, Minnesota, and then Great Falls, Montana, and then St. Louis, Missouri, and then back to Minneapolis all in five years. And the reason that's meaningful is I spent five years with the corporate corporation working that eight to five desk job. And what that taught me is I was not right for the eight to five desk job, you know, with a boss looking over my shoulder and I had to be in at eight and I couldn't leave till five. I was dying for freedom. I was, it was bursting out of me wanting to do something different, but I didn't, I didn't know what it was. And one day in late 1985, after I'd been with Cargill five years, a friend said, why don't you get into sales? And I said, oh, no, not me. But then again, I realized later I'd found my niche. So I started interviewing and I found a guy out of Georgia who wanted to hire a rep to sell management and sales training in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And he interviewed about 50 people in uh, on a January 1986 night when it was 20 below in the Bloomington Marriott. I know you can relate to these things, Bob. Absolutely. And uh, he was from Georgia and he was cold, but (laughs) (laughs) I bet he was. He didn't like it up here much in in Minnesota. Anyway, bottom line, he offered me the position. So I left the security of the big corporate world to take a job basically on commission selling video-based training. And what that led to was 10 years of selling training. I got pretty good at it. I found my niche. I loved it. I worked harder than I'd ever worked in my life, making cold calls by phone, 
calling executives in the Twin Cities, going out on appointments, and then selling workshops. And then I would sit in these sessions for a couple of days and I would listen. And it took a few years, but Bob, what I finally heard was people, including me, asking the wrong questions. And I'm sure your listeners have heard these lousy questions. Let me just give you a couple. Why do we have to go through all this change? When is someone going to train me? Why can't we find good people? And one day I thought, what if we turned that question around? And so I turned it around. I said, instead of asking, why do we have to go through all this change? Why don't we ask, how can I adapt to the changing world? And I taught it to a little group out of Little Canada, Minnesota, called St. Jude Medical, one of the richest companies in America. And I came back three months later, and Bob, they were using it, this little idea called the question behind the question. They had even shortened it, I think, to the QBQ. I forgot. I'll never know who shortened it to QBQ, but I think they may have done it. And that was 1994. And within a year, I left the training company I was representing, and I went off on my own to teach this idea called the question behind the question, the QBQ which I know you're gonna ask me, what's it all about? But that's how I got there. Those 10 years of selling and implementing training is what got me to where I am today. That is really fascinating. And, and I, I love to ask this question of our guests for that exact reason, because it's always an intriguing background. And, and of course, our podcasts centered around experience management. We always find uh, professionals in this industry who have had similar situations where it could have been dumb luck or divine or intervention, but um, they ended up in, in experience management and uh, the background that they have really drives them still today. Sure. And so I, I see the same thing with you. So let's get right into it, John. What is QBQ? And, and we know how you came up with the idea, but what's that all about? I will say one thing, Bob. When I was in high school, my dad said I should become a pastor because he was a pastor. But also he said, well, why don't you become an attorney? And I thought I could be a great attorney because you're always trying to persuade people. Well, I ended up kind of being doing both in the sales field. You know, when you're pastoring a church and you're you're working a courtroom, you're always trying to sell. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're always persuading. So I ended up in sales and I could have taken my gifts elsewhere, but this is where I ended up selling training, and now we sell QBQ training, and what is it all about? Two words, personal accountability. We could end the podcast right now, because that's all it's about, personal accountability. Mm -hmm. No more blame, no more whining, no more victim thinking, no entitlement, no victim thinking, no bemoaning, no complaining, personal accountability. And when I started teaching this in 1994, I did not know how badly it was needed. I was told by a person... I couldn't speak on accountability because it wasn't a topic like, you know, Bob, customer service. And I said, yeah, it's not a topic. It's a principle that changes lives. So I went out and I foolishly started speaking on personal accountability. And guess what? They started hiring me because <laughs> I think the world is tired of the blame game. And this was 30 years ago, Bob, almost 1994. Just think how much the world has changed since then. If I could see your, your listeners and I asked them, how badly do you think the world needs more personal accountability? Trust me, everybody's head would be nodding right now. Mm -hmm. No question about it. And, and when you talk about personal accountability and you talk about customer experience and customer service, that's really what we're all about. We're trying to get uh, employees to accept that personal accountability for creating a memorable experience for our right. customers and clients. 
Absolutely. And if your listeners want to use other words, we can say responsibility, we can say ownership. It's really all about me in the moment making a really good choice to serve versus complaining, whining, and blaming. And I can go through the QBQ and the mechanics of it, but here's a good example. Instead of saying, you know, why don't we get better customers? Nobody ever quite says it that way. Uh, why are the customers are so demanding? The better question, the QBQ, the question behind the question would be, what can I do to serve my customer? What can I do to be my best today? So as we unfold the QBQ in this podcast, it's all about taking a negative question like, when am I going to get more coaching and turning it into a positive question like, how can I develop myself? That's the QBQ. Mm -hmm. So, John, what are the myths surrounding this accountability that you've talked sure. about? It's interesting, as I've been out speaking in the corporate world for a long time, and my daughter, Kristen, she's our oldest, she's uh, in her late 30s, she was... Uh, she's, excuse me, she's been out speaking on QBQ since 2008. So Bob, I must say, it's fun having a, a millennial out there talking about personal responsibility, personal accountability. And one thing we both learned is when we work with a group, we need to clarify a couple of things because teams come in with confusion. When they hear the word accountability, one of the, one of the myths is they think it's for someone else. It's something I do to somebody. So it's like parents saying, I got to hold my kid accountable instead of a parent saying, what can I do to be the best mom or dad today? And it's a manager saying, I need to hold my people accountable instead of saying, how can I be a better coach for my people today? Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a parent or a manager, yes, we need to build in systems where people are accountable. But this message, QBQ on this podcast is all about me practicing personal accountability. It's not me holding Bob accountable. So the, one of the myths is we think, uh, accountability is something we do to others. And the other myth is we think it's a team thing. And that's grown up over the past 30 years in the corporate world because we've done way too much team building. Uh, don't get me wrong. No angry emails at qbq.com telling me, John, <laughs> you don't believe in teams. Teams are great. But teams, Bob, as you know, are only as good as the individuals. There's a myth out there called there are no eyes in team. Baloney. Every team is full of eyes. The eyes are named Bob and Karen and Kristen and Tara and John. And when the eyes take care of themselves and ask, what can I do to serve the team? How can I be my best today? Then the team is stronger for it. So what we want to ensure is when we say accountability, we're not thinking a group thing or a team thing. We're thinking about what, what can John Miller to do today to take ownership for a problem? How can I better serve the customer? So John, I've got to ask this on, on your example of there's no I in team. We hear that all the time. How do you react to that? And how do you try to overcome that with the organizations that you work sure. with? Well, we actually teach in the QBQ book and in our QBQ training and our live sessions that uh, one of the problems you see in businesses today, because we think accountability is like a team thing, uh, people have learned and this won't surprise you, but this is the way we phrase it. They have learned to hide behind the team. The team has become the excuse for things not getting done. Well, the team didn't have enough resources. The team wasn't committed. Nobody on the team cared as much as I did. The team didn't work as hard as I did. Management didn't give the team a clear mission. It's always about the team. The team didn't have the resources. It's easy to say we missed the mark. We missed the deadline because of the team. 
it's way harder and way more mature and much more of a leader type thing. And we're all leaders. That's not, I'm not talking about managers. We're all in leadership positions. When I can say, what can I do today to be my best to help the team move forward? No more blaming the team. John, it sounds um, so as such an imperative in organizations to pursue this personal accountability. What is what are the barriers to organizations achieving it? Well, that that's a we didn't plan any of these questions. That's a real key question because. When we wrote the fifth edition of the QBQ book, it's out now with the fifth edition, we put some FAQs in the back. And one of the common FAQs, one of the common, well, that's redundant, common frequent question. <laughs> one of the common questions we get is, what do I do if my boss or my team won't practice personal accountability? Well, it's, people are gonna fight this, but it's an irrelevant off the mark question. I can still practice personal accountability. I can still be my best today. I can still develop my skills. I can still own problems in front of me. I can still stop pointing fingers and, and blaming other people. So uh, it begins with me way back in the 80s, Bob, when we were young and we're about the same age. I read a book that I remember, I forgot who wrote it, forgot the author, but he said that in every organization, change begin, begins in a pocket. You know, the myth is it comes from the top down. Well, Quite honestly, sometimes the top is lost in an organization. The executives are too far from the customers. Real change begins in a pocket of the organization and that pocket can be anywhere. Well, inside that pocket, that department could be Bob or John Miller. And we could, we today, Bob and John could today decide, you know what, I'm gonna be accountable. I'm not gonna whine, blame, complain, or become entitled. I'm gonna move forward by asking, what can I do to be my best today? So. Uh, the, the culture might not be a, one of, that supports personal accountability, but I can still practice it. And then, Bob, that leads to another decision. Maybe it's time to move on from that employer, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> right. Listeners, you're listening to John Miller, author of QBQ, among other books, on this episode of All Things Considered CX. John, I want to um, uh, question you a little bit more about what you just said in terms of top-down uh, or pockets. And in the CX profession, uh, we spend a lot of time saying, if you don't have uh, CEO, COO, you know, C-suite um, sponsorship, you can't be successful. And I personally don't ascribe to that. I've seen it where organizations have used pockets of passionate professionals to make significant changes in the experience of their clients. And that's really what you're talking about is those pockets can really be effective. We may not need right. the executive leadership. Well, uh, let me tell you this. I used to use this example, which is kind of old now, but you know, I, I would say, I don't talk about how IBM resurrected, resurrected itself. That doesn't excite me. What excites me is when Jacob and Judy and Benita and, and these people, individuals do something outstanding. I mean, you know, we talked about it before we started recording the podcast today, Bob, I wrote a book called Outstanding, 47 Ways to Make Your Organization Exceptional. 
And just like QBQ and the Flipping the Switch book, which is the sequel to QBQ, all of them has, have something in common. They are loaded with stories of individuals, of people who did great things. So to me, it's never about the organization. It's about the person I'm interacting with. And you knew this before I came on here. Every single customer sees the organization through the person they are talking to, the person they are interacting with. So when I tell a story, it's always about Jacob and Judy and Benita, not about the rock bottom restaurant or Home Depot or Delta Airlines. It's always about that individual. That's what excites me is when people rise above and, and stop the blame and stop feeling sorry for themselves and stop whining and just say, what can I do to serve the customer right now in this moment? How can I make a difference? That is just exciting stuff for me. Boy, it certainly is. And I, and I think our listeners can very much relate to that. And, and perhaps we're guilty of a little bit of the victim mentality as well. A CX professionals, average tenure in their role in an organization is 18 to 24 months because, and, and the reason given is they get tired of beating their head against the wall, trying to get change in the organization. Your approach uh, with QBQ suggests there could be a better way. Well, it, we... We do do training inside organizations. Like you take a client of ours, like Husqvarna out of Kansas City, they have taken QBQ worldwide. And they would, they would tell you they started in 2006. And when they went through, we all went through the recession of 08, 09, uh, the HR leader there, Debbie, would tell you QBQ pulled them through hard times. Because in hard times, we tend to want to play that victim. We want to whine, we want to blame, we want to point fingers. But when you can get an organization of individuals saying, well, I'm frustrated, I'm disappointed, I'm a little angry, but what can I do today to solve the problem? How can I contribute? What can I do to serve the customers? You've got a very healthy culture there that can weather the storm, and they did. So true. And, and, and John, we're talking about one of the problems that QBQ can solve. What other problems can QBQ solve within organizations? Well, it's funny, um, that question really begs this answer. There's, there's nothing that can't be solved by an individual. I mean, wh what can I not do? What, 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 where am I going to struggle if, let me start over with this answer, okay. <laughs> Meaning, there's a problem in manufacturing, there's a problem in the assembly line, there's a problem uh, in the sales process, there's a problem with a customer, there's a problem with a colleague that I'm not getting, all of it comes back to me, not that I own every problem, I want to make, make that clear, not that I own every problem, that's, that's another subject is we don't own every problem before us, but when there is a problem, what can I do to tackle that problem instead of, let's look at the three traps, victim thinking, procrastination, and blame, so if there's a problem, in the organization, any problem, I can play victim and say, why is this happening to me? I can procrastinate by saying, when are they going to handle this? I can blame and say, who made the mistake? Who dropped the ball? Or I can say, what can I do to contribute towards solving this problem? And I will tell you this, QBQ does wonderful things for relationships because laced into the QBQ is humility and a heart of service and forgiveness of others and looking in the mirror and changing me. So if you put all that into a business relationship or a marriage, Bob, and I've been married since 1980, you start using QBQ at home, you'll find it solves all kinds of relational problems because in most relationships, work or home, 
one person's trying to fix another. One person's trying to change another. One person's waiting for the other person to be different. The minute we start saying, what can I do to change me? It does a lot for us in life. So true, John. And culture's got to play into this, right? As you shift mindset within organizations to this, you know, flipping the switch, so to speak. And, and yeah. how does that all play into it? Because culture is huge within the experience as well. You have to get people to think differently. We told, we wrote in the outstanding book, one of the chapters I believe is titled in outstanding companies, people never forget who pays the bill, not the bills. That sounds so obvious, doesn't it? Well, you go inside a big company and the, and many of the, the employees have forgotten who pays the bills. It's Bob who pays the bills. It's John Miller who pays the bills. The person, the consumer who's giving me, giving you the money for your product or service. You may be, you know, an accounting person deep within the bowels of the organization, never seeing the light of day, but don't forget who pays the bills, that consumer who's buying your product, but your internal customer might be the next accounting person down the line or the VP of finance or somebody in another department. If you can view them, and this is not new, Bob, if you can view them as your customer, you're selling them an output all day long. What can I do to serve you? Then that person says, what can I do to serve the next person? Eventually we get to the Johns and the Bobs who are paying for the product. That's culture. And that's what individuals can do when they start seeing everybody as a customer. We, we define a true customer as anybody who has a legitimate expectation of me. 360 degrees around me, Bob, there are customers everywhere, everywhere. And that's a wonderful attitude to carry inside an organization. And we can take it right home and take it to our churches and take it to our nonprofits where we donate our time and take it to our schools. We can use that attitude of everybody's a customer everywhere. We certainly can, John. And uh, one of the biggest uh, pieces of feedback we get uh, in from organizations trying to improve their experience for their clients is from those people that are considered consider themselves in the back office, or they might say it differently as I don't touch the customer, therefore I don't impact the experience. Nothing could be further from the truth as you just exemplified. Well, the back office is probably better than the bowels of the organization. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> But in, in, in the outstanding book, because you brought that up. Yes, the, please talk us, talk to us a little bit about the outstanding book. Well, thank you. Actually, I brought that up, but I was just talking about, you know, when we put the book together, I sat down and I said, okay, what are all the things I've seen really outstanding companies do? Well, one of them is they never forget who pays the bills, that kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what the book is all about. It's all about things that really great companies do. I can read you a few chapter headings. They, they show humility to the marketplace. They keep the mission top of mind. See, that's what we're talking about right here. If you've got a company of 5,000 people, everybody better understand why that company exists. Not the vision. They don't need to know where the company is going to be in five years, but they do need to know why that organization exists. And it should be 12 words or less. We teach that in the book. See everyone as a customer. Give people tools, not slogans. Let people speak up. Set the cultural tone at the top. Don't speak in code, you know, speak at the ninth grade level. Let's make things simple. Let's call things problems, not opportunities. Value ideas over politics. Forgive 
mistakes inside the organization. Let's not have passive aggressive anger between departments. And how about this one? Let's compete with competitors, not each other. I mean, I could go on and on. There's 47 chapters. It's just a collection of really good, solid ideas that I put together after watching companies for, for decades, Bob. That's excellent. And, and John, while we're, while we're talking about uh, QBQ and outstanding, you have, am I right in saying that you've written a, a sequel to QBQ, Flipping the Switch? Yes, Flipping the Switch. Uh, I, I like to call it the companion book to QBQ. They, oh, okay. All right. They're almost best bought together. But flipping the switch covers what we call five advantage principles. If you want the advantage in life, uh, learning, service, trust, ownership, creativity. Those are the five advantage principles in the book. And what we do is we use the QBQ as a lever to bring those principles to life. So like, let's take the learning one. I can sit around and complain, why don't I get more training? When are they gonna coach me more? Or I can say, what can I do to develop my own God-given skills and talents? Because darn it, they're mine. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if I want to be a learner, I better be asking these QBQs. Or I can be someone who doesn't grow and learn because I can sit around and complain I don't get enough training. I, I got this material, Bob, from real people. Mm -hmm. In 1995, I remember as I was transitioning from selling training to being a speaker guy, I sat in Minneapolis in the IDS tower and talked to an insurance executive. And he told me this, he said, John, everybody who ever quits us points back and says, you didn't train me. Hmm. So that's a common theme. Now, I'm not saying that company did enough training. That's not the point. But when people tend to leave an organization, a lot of it is a lack of personal accountability. Well, they didn't train me to do the job. You know what I say? Train yourself. I spoke for NBC Universal in the Man uh, Rockefeller Plaza a few years ago in Manhattan. And I remember telling 140 marketing people, Bob, they were all under 30. I mean, talk about a young industry. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just told them, because I have some gray hair, I said, don't wait for your boss. Don't wait for your manager. Train yourself. That's your job. Well, when I was done, the HR person came up to me and said, wow, you're really trendy. I said, me, trendy? Have you seen the sports shirt I'm wearing? I've had it for six years from Target. <laughs> and she said, well, the trend in HR now is people owning their careers. And I, I thought, well, boy, we've been teaching that for decades. Instead of asking, when are they going to train me? Ask, what can I do to develop myself? Mm -hmm. we, could go all, we could go on and on about this stuff, Bob. It applies everywhere. Let's talk about marriages. <laughs> right. <laughs> I used to say you own 51% of your career, and that means you're the majority stakeholder in your you career. Go. Good one. Uh, um, uh, now, the other thought I had when you're, when you're talking about this, uh, John, is the fact that when you talk about training, one of the challenges that I found too is, is that we might be really good at training skills in an organization, but we aren't really good at at training behavior and changing behavior. And that's what your books are really talking about, right? Well, Is changing behavior? Well, absolutely. Uh, the, the beautiful aspect of QBQ, and I know I'm the author speaking, but I just created it one day in 1994 and I was smart enough to trademark it, if you know what I mean, Bob. Yes. The beautiful thing is people can go, come into a training session on QBQ or read the book. And we're talking like, you know, 12 bucks from Amazon. And they can say, 
they can come in with a heart of disappointment. I'm disappointed in my spouse. I'm disappointed in my grown son. I'm frustrated with my boss. And we could do some whining or complaining or lamenting. And then they read QBQ and they go, I, I never thought to turn that question around. Instead of asking, why doesn't my spouse do more for me? When will she change? I never thought to ask, what can I do to change me? It sounds, Bob, so basic. And it is, but that's why it works. Because after reading the first five chapters of QBQ, people can walk out of a meet, into a meeting and say, you know what? I'm done whining about the lack of budget dollars. What can I do with the dollars I have? They can change it immediately, that, that thought process, which leads to a change in behavior. Got to change the thinking first, Bob. Of course, you know that. Mm -hmm. This is all cognitive. Till we change the thinking, we never change the emotions, and thus we never change the actions, behaviors, and habits. Wow, I listeners, I think uh, we could go on all day, but our time well, is let's do it. By, I, I, right? Come on, Bob, I can rant for another hour. <laughs> well, we might lose a few listeners if that happened uh, right. off our podcast, John, but but we could certainly look at it at a return engagement. John, before I do let you go, uh, I always ask the same question of all my guests, and that is, uh, what are those final thoughts, words of wisdom, sage advice, however you want to classify it? that you'd like to share with our listeners who can uh, walk away from this podcast and, and really say, hey, I learned something from this today, uh, listening to John. Uh, great question. Who have you been trying to change other than yourself? That's the key question. QBQ, personal accountability is all about me looking in the mirror, working on me. So instead of being frustrated with a boss or a colleague or an underling or a a teenage son or a wife or a, or a husband or a friend or your church pastor or your neighbor, what can I do to better understand? What can I do to change my behaviors? What can I do to serve this customer in a greater way? QBQ comes back to me constantly, me changing me. So I leave everybody with that question. Who have you been trying to change? Who have you been trying to fix? Because if there is an answer to that, like a a spouse or a son or a boss, then you are wasting your time, your energy, your talent, your potential. Everything's being wasted because you can't change them. So let's look in the mirror. I will change John Miller today. That's excellent words to wrap up our podcast. John, if we've sparked interest and passion in our listeners, where can they learn more about QBQ besides I, buying your books? Thank you. QBQ.com is the place to go. It's funny, Bob, I always have to chuckle over that. We used to give out 800 numbers and addresses. And right. now it's like, hey, here's a three-letter URL. Come to qbq.com. That's all you need. Uh, and, and it's so sweet, too, that you that you have, that you you have were able to grab that URL, for sure. Yeah, uh, I've had that since 1998. Can you believe it? No, I can't. You were really had a lot of foresight there to grab it that early in the, in the was, digital explosion, right? I was very fortunate. Well, listeners, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast with John Miller as much as I have, John. Thank you for joining the All Things Considered podcast. Thank you, Bob. Glad to be here. Listeners, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your networks. And as always, stay tuned for another episode of All Things Considered CX. Until next time, this is Bob Asman, your host part of the CXFM radio network of podcasters. Check them all out at CXFM radio 
on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of All Things Considered CX. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your colleagues. Subscribe to our show, follow me on LinkedIn, and visit my website at InnovativeCX.com for more insights on creating better experiences. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit CXofM.org for more resources.